Hello everyone, welcome to McGill Cares, a webcast series addressing a wide variety of topics to support family and informal caregivers. I'm Claire Webster, a former caregiver who became a certified Alzheimer care consultant and founder of the McGill University Dementia Education Program. McGill Cares is part of this very important program. I work with a dynamic team of leading healthcare professionals to oversee our program, which include Dr. Jose Moret from the Division of Geriatric Medicine, Dr. Serge Gauthier, McGill University Research Center for Studies in Aging, and Dr. Gerald Freed, McGill Steinberg Center for Simulation and Interactive Learning. These webcasts are made possible thanks to the generosity of our donors and sponsors. I would like everyone to save the date of September 2nd at 7 p.m. We will be having an event called the Gift of Song. And this will be a special event to provide comfort to our community. We will invite you to a free online concert performed by a trio of talented McGill jazz musicians. Today, we will be discussing the realities of caregiving within the LGBTQ communities. And our webcast features a panel discussion addressing the particular challenges that seniors and caregivers from these communities face in accessing services and seeking out support for themselves, as well as the necessary considerations that need to be made in order to ensure that these services are made available to them. I would like to welcome my guests. We have, Dr. We have Shari Brotman, Associate Professor at the McGill School of Social Work. Her scholarly activities focus on access and equity in the design and delivery of health and social care services to older people from marginalized communities and their informal caregivers. We have Julien Rougerie, Program Manager for the Aging, Gayfully and Chosen Family Programs at Fondation Emergence. And we have Chloe Vio, a trans woman who volunteers at Aging, Gayfully. Since her transition at age 66, she struggles to be recognized as a caregiver to her mother. Welcome to the show, everyone. So I, in order to begin, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm exceptionally grateful for all of you to be here today. I mean, as we discussed earlier, you know, informal and family caregivers are really the heart of, the, of, of providing care at home to, to support uh, seniors. And I think it's very, very important that we profile all members of the community and, and in order to understand what people are going through. So Shari, I'd like to begin with you. Perhaps you can give an overview of exactly who the community of among the LGBTQ community are. What are the caregivers, who they are? Okay, so um, it's, a, it's quite difficult actually to estimate the number of LGBTQ caregivers within the broader caregiving community because we don't yet have uh, good solid survey data, statistical data that's representative to rely on. There's uh, um, quite a few um, limitations in the way Statistics Canada collects information on sexual orientation and gender identity. And so we tend to rely on community-based surveys or previous research um, to try to get an estimate of the number of LGBTQ caregivers. Um, and so even though there's a range in the, uh, what we consider to be the number of LGBTQ people in the population generally, um, somewhere between six and 10%, although you know different surveys have uh, report different kinds of numbers, um, 
the most common figure that we hear about at large is this 10%. So just for facility's sake, let's talk about 10% of the population being LGBTQ. Um, and we know from um, the, the general social survey, uh, survey from Statistics Canada that there are roughly 8 million uh, family and informal caregivers in Canada. So we can estimate perhaps 800,000 LGBTQ plus caregivers within the community. But actually, for many of us, we think that number is probably higher. And there's a couple of factors that uh, relate to this. The first is that particularly for the older population, many, um, we tend to rely on the so-called, and I'm putting it in quotation marks, unattached members of families to provide care to its older members. And for the older population of LGBTQ people, we know that there's a higher proportion of people who are single, live alone, and do not have children, although this is changing. Um, over the years. The second issue is that um, because of experiences of social exclusion and marginalization over the life course, that many LGBTQ people have developed uh, what we call chosen families, very close friendships to replace the discrimination and rejection that they may have faced by their biological families. And because of that sense of solidarity with the community, we find that there's many people who could be unrelated, but still provide a significant caring role to friends and other members of the community. So we think that LGBTQ people are in fact overrepresented in the population of caregivers. Thank you. Chloe, would you please share your, your journey as, a, as a, a caregiver and what your experiences have been with us? Yeah, I'm a volunteer with the uh, Fondation Emergence, and uh, uh, I'm I'm a caregiver with my mother. She's 97 years old now. Well, next month, and uh, it's a little bit different since a couple of years, four or five years uh, since I start my uh, with my coming out because with my family we have uh, two brothers, sisters. And it's very difficult because it changed a lot, you know, uh, because they uh, don't accept me. <clears throat> and I can give you um, really two ex nice ex examples. Uh, it, it was very sad for me. And I was a little bit upset, not a little bit, but much upset about that. Uh, you know, when she came at the new center where she are now, uh, my brother and sister make a phone uh, directory and a, and a card with a phone number in the name. And my name wasn't there. So that's one example. And the second example is uh, one day, it's not far from this event. Uh, I called my mother and for three, four days, she didn't answer. So I usually visit one, two, two times a week. And I went to the, uh, her place and uh, I asked for my mother. She don't, she's not in, in the apartment. So the owner was there he said, you're looking for my, your mother? Well, she's in the hospital. She left an ambulance. I said, when? He said, five years ago. He said, nobody had explained to you or told to you? I said, no. Hmm. So this 
is the second example, and uh, it's not easy, you know, for a caregiver LGBT because it you can have the quality of the caregiver that you supposed to have. So I don't have too much information from uh, my my family, and I told my family it's it, you can you can do this. I need my family so important and. Uh, it's a bit, a little bit better at this time because I keep my uh, energy to uh, don't play the game that they want to play, you know. So it's not easy, but uh, I still uh, very uh, strong about that. How often do you visit your mother? Like she's in a residence now. I mean, how often? Well, it's a residence. So she's uh, uh, she's a uh, uh, she. she, she our faculty is very good. It's just short memory. It's a problem, but uh, everything is nice, good. She's have problem with the art, but for it, for her age, it's very, it's very good. Yeah, she lives in an apartment in a, a place for uh, old people. Yeah. I'm actually going to address a question to Julien because I, I listened to one of your webcasts, which was incredibly informative. And, you know, what would be the experience of, of you know, the LGBTQ community with regards to their families? And I mean, is what Chloe's going through, is that typical of, of the relationship? Um, yeah, actually, uh, Chloe's situation is uh, much uh, representative because like people tend to have not a strong uh, bounds with their families because they were either rejected or the family just not very comfortable about who they are. So, um, you know, they have to take their distance with their families over their life course. And something that we observe with um, the, our program dedicated to uh, LGBT caregivers, chosen family, is that most of them, they don't self-identify uh, caregivers and because they don't self-identify they don't access to help or services to uh, to caregiver the common image we have of a caregiver is always very family oriented so when people care for a friend for example and that's uh, the case pretty often within the lgbtq plus community for caregivers they don't identify as such so it's very hard for them to um access services and when they're not comfortable about disclosing that they are LGBT or that the recipient of their care is LGBT, it's also an extra barrier to access uh, external help. Yeah, and and if I could just add, yes. not only access external help, but also be recognized by the system in decision-making plans. So uh, friends are not typically included in um, the um, uh, care plans whether in home care or long-term care. So if you don't identify and you're not recognized as such, then oftentimes the, the main supporter of the person is excluded over the biological family in decision-making processes. Yeah. Chloe, your mom, does she suffer from dementia at all? Is it... Uh... If she... She suffers from... Does your mother suffer from dementia? No, 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 no. no. So nope, you're able to have like a, a regular relationship with her and like yes, she's I have, fine. I, I have no problem with my mother. She okay. accepts me, uh, but uh, uh, she still her son, you know, for her. Uh, at this age, I, I can understand this. 
So after all the time to repeat, no, no, I'm a girl. I'm <laughs> so that's funny. But uh, she's she's uh, and it could help. She, her brain is is great for for her age, and uh, you know, uh, the center where she is. To uh, I don't have too much problem there, like my family. But it's the the staff is sometimes a little bit uh, confused, and uh, I. Sometimes I feel uh, uh, not transphobia, but flu fluid transphobia. You know, it's not clear. And the young staff is that's okay. And for the residents, sometimes it's not clear not because they don't understand what's happened with me with my voice. And so it's so funny, you know. But uh, that, that's normal. But it's it's going well anyway in the center where she is. Yeah. So Sherry, um, you know, let's talk about, you know, transitions or, or, or you know, for, with regards to the seniors from the community, are, are more people living at home um, or are there many in, in you know, assisted living residences and what would be the difference between the two? So you're talking about, I think, a really, really important issue. And I think also it connects to what Chloe was saying as well, is that, um, uh, you know, the risk of discrimination and exposure within long-term care settings is something that um, exists that, uh, you know, there's not enough training of service providers. There's not enough education uh, to residents um, in long-term care. So um, many times in order to receive long-term care services, people feel rightfully so that they must in a way go back into hiding in order to access those kinds of services. So uh, dress differently, um, uh, hide their photographs, hide their identity, uh, so that uh, their risk of, uh, of exposure to discrimination is lowered. So for many people in uh, the LGBTQ community, um, there's a real um, uh, fear of going into long-term care, and we hear this over and over again in the research and in our in our work in the community, um, because of the risk of um, exposure to discrimination within residential settings. So people wait till they're very, very ill and have no choice to move into long-term care when their choices of where they go are even much more diminished. And so, um, you know, people will stay at home longer than perhaps they should because they want to stay within their own space, which could potentially be a safer space. Now, that being said, the minute, um, and in my research, we saw this as well, the minute you require any kind of support, um, like home care support, for example, you again risk exposure to discrimination if the frontline worker, the personal support worker who comes into your house has um, prejudice against against LGBTQ people and has not been properly trained. So we hear so many stories of people um, to receive somebody at home. And we also know that the personal support worker can change over time. So it's very hard to build a relationship of trust. They'll hide their pictures. They'll hide their idea. They won't talk about who they are in an effort to um, uh, resist that uh, discrimination that they, that they face. Julien, from your um, from your experience and you know working with the families that you are working with and the individuals that you're working with, is there true discrimination or is it just a fear? 
Um, well, that's a question uh, in the training we uh, we give for people who work with seniors. It's a, it's a common question. Um, my answer would be, well, first of all, does it does it really matter when people are afraid of you know uh, being who they are in um, in a living environment? Uh, this fear should be uh, should be addressed. And as uh, Sherry said, this uh, fear is based in uh, reality because we have to take into account for seniors like the life uh, the life course they had to uh, go through. Uh, they lived in a society where it was a crime to be uh, homosexual. It was considered a disease until 1973 by the, D, uh, the DSM. Um, and it's just been 20 years in Quebec, for example, that you can uh, be a same-sex uh, couple. Before that, it did not even uh, exist. So now there's a lot of protection by the law, but uh, you know, laws can evolve very uh, quickly. But uh, the, the, the culture, the bias, the, um, et cetera, is going to take a very, very long time to, to change. So yes, they can face uh, actual discrimination. Sometimes it's very subtle. Uh, Sometimes you, you know, when you're not sensitive to it, you don't realize this is discrimination. And sometimes it can be more um, violent and physical. Chloe, can you give some examples of you know discrimination that you may have yeah. faced outside? You know, I mean, you met, you mentioned a bit before about some of the challenges that you face with your family, but have you faced some challenges outside of that? Yeah, uh, one thing is so important, like uh, Julien said, uh, in the LGBT community and uh, older people, uh, especially for trans people, you're not coming back you know when you make your coming out you accept to uh, the responsibility uh, because you can you can uh, you have to express yourself you know you can be in a, in a garderobe we said in French but uh, it's so important to understand the difference you know it's brand new since a couple of years only because with the gender uh, 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 representation for peoples, it's uh, brand new. It's so the society is not uh, very comprehensive all the time about that. And uh, for the people make coming out, the trans people, uh, especially for women, women's transgender, uh, the thing is that uh, the voice, the voice don't change a lot. Physically, the, it's not changed a lot. Uh, for myself, my body changed, my voice didn't did, did change. And uh, for uh, men, uh, transgender is different. After one year treatment, uh, everything's changed. The voice, velocity, uh, muscle, and everything. So. For me, uh, I accept when I made my coming out to probably have discrimination, and I was ready for this, but it's, it's not easy. Uh, it's a lot of, uh, uh, well, I feel of depression a couple of years ago about that, you know, when I left my family and my friends and, you know, and uh, it's all the time fighting fighting all the time, but uh, I, I am who I am, 
you know, I respect myself and I'm proud about that, you know. So how do we, how do we address this fear, this, the fear of seeking out support? You know, how, what, what can we do as a society to, you know, to, to, to better support this community? Julien well, or uh, Julien, Chloe? Maybe, maybe uh, Julien can answer. Um, well, I can uh, quickly answer maybe. Uh, yes, it's, uh, um, it's the purpose of our program, Aging Gayfully. Uh, we help people offering services to seniors, any kind of services, um, with training sessions and awareness material. Because as uh, Sherry said, they need to know what it means to be LGBT, especially for the elder uh population uh, we need to know what they went through what it was so difficult for them uh what impact psychological or um, social impact that it, it involves so we give training to um people offering services about that and we focuses on the good practices that they can implement on a daily basis in their interactions um, there's a little bit of a taboo right now when you go to uh, uh, assisted living or um, social uh, uh, social and health services. Uh, when they address um, an older population, they they assume that you know they cannot be LGBT or whatever because like we don't hear about them uh, very often. So it's a little bit of a vicious circle. Like we never uh, talk about it, we never address the topic, and because we never do people don't uh, dare to uh, be who they are. So um, a way to address this fear is uh, yeah, to, uh, um, to uh, have the proper uh, training and implement uh, good practices as we uh, deliver them with the Aging Gayfully program. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to add something uh, to what Julien was saying, which is um, I think also connected and really important is that there's a lot of ageist stereotypes about change that service providers have about other older people. So we see this a lot in long-term care residences, for example, where we say, oh, you know, they're, they're too old, we can't train them, we can't educate them, uh, they're too old, it's attitudes they've had for a very long time. So this is really an ageist assumption that we have. So could I give a very quick example of this? I have a mm -hmm. friend who mm -hmm. actually lives in a uh, CHSLD, which is a long-term care facility. And he had a friend, um, a trans friend who would come to visit him. And um, uh, when she would leave walking down the hall, there were one or two residents that would call her very, very derogatory names. And the staff laughed. They thought it was really funny. And uh, so when I approached the staff about, uh, you know, uh, uh, educating residents, but also themselves, uh, they would say, oh, you know, uh, leave it be. This person has dementia. There's nothing we could do to educate. It becomes acceptable because they're older. And I think this is also a dangerous uh, stereotype, uh, which um, blocks people from engaging in change. You know, at the beginning of the webcast, we talked about, you know, people from the LGBTQ community not identifying themselves as caregivers, but I think that applies to all communities, all individuals. I mean, for years, I never saw myself as a caregiver. I was the daughter of, you know, a daughter taking care of her mother. And I think that's, you know, the reality of most caregivers is that we're not a caregiver. I'm husband, wife, friend, partner, you know, I'm not, I'm not a caregiver. So I think that's, that's a challenge that is across all, all communities, number one. Number two is, you know, 
you know, more and more and more people are caring for loved ones at home right now. And you know, because of the pandemic, there's less access of resources from the community. Uh, you know, most people have no idea how do you navigate the healthcare system. So, you know, I, I want to appeal to people that it is very, very important that you know you have to kind of like at this during this time try to become as self-educated as possible. There's a lot of good resources available, you know, including our webcast. But you really need to become as educated as possible on on how to properly care for the person that you you're caring for. Understand the diseases. Be one step ahead at all times, and the importance of seeking out support needs to be there. You must seek out support services for yourself because. You know, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in your shoes, for instance, Chloe, but, you know, I do know the reality of caregiver burnout and seeking out support services at sometimes may be much more critical than your own fear. Because if we don't seek out support services to, to assist in caring for the, for the, 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 the person, we are risking burnout. We are really at risk of burnout. And for those people that are, are, are caregiving silently, they are risking burnout, okay? And it will have an impact on the quality of care that they're providing to, you know, to that person. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's very important to seek out support, uh, you know, when necessary. Um, you know, just go ahead, Shari. Sorry, okay. <laughs> I'm not taking up too much time. I, I mean, I, yeah. that's very important, absolutely, but that also, um, really accentuates why programs like Aging Gayfully are so important. Because keep in mind that reaching out for support um, when you're an LGBTQ person, a caregiver, uh, is a risk. Because the services, the support groups that are there that provide support to caregivers have not paid adequate attention to the unique realities of LGBTQ people. And we, in my own research, I've heard in the past that some of the most discriminatory environments were caregiver organizations who were not prepared to welcome, to provide a welcoming environment to LGBTQ people and didn't know anything about their unique experiences and circumstances. So it's wonderful that an organization like Aging Gayfully is around to fill that gap and to provide the training that caregiver support organizations need to have. Julien, can you please talk to us about the Chosen Family Program and talk to us a bit about your organization and how people could get in get in touch yeah, with sure. you? Yeah, sure. It's um, it's uh, so the, the Aging Gayfully Program, as Sherry said, is very um, uh, focus. It focuses on uh, training. The uh, the um, the Chosen Family Program is uh, addresses directly support to uh, LGBTQ plus caregivers. Because when you're a caregiver, you have so many things you have to learn, you know, about the, the disease, about how to care for someone, about how to care about yourself, um, the, 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 where to get help, how, how to navigate the system, etc. So we provide them with a safe space where they can access this information and uh, discussion groups um, between members of the LGBTQ plus uh, communities. So they don't have the stress of uh, disclosing or hiding their uh, identity, which they all they always have distress when they access uh, general services because it's either uh, will I am I going to be comfortable disclosing who I am? Will I have to hide 
um, will have to, to disclose it and then have consequences. So we uh, support them by creating um, a safe space where they can access support and uh, information. Okay, well, we will make sure to add a link to your program on the McGill resources page of our program so that people can access that. And Chloe, you're a volunteer and mentor for this program. Yes. Sure. What advice would you offer to people watching today? Um, what, uh, can you repeat your question? Yes. What, what advice, based on your own personal experience? Oh, that's a nice question. You well, others? you know, when I start, uh, when uh, I mean, I'm coming out and uh, I know what's happened and it was not so easy, but uh, I understand something that uh, I have to uh, teach what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, because at my age, there's no so much people, you know. I was a little bit, not, not a little bit, so much surprised that there's too, not too much people uh, make a transition at my age. So that's the reason that I have to educate. And uh, for myself, it's, uh, I like so much and it's, it's uh, the best thing in my life, I think I realized. Yeah. Well, I'd like to so thank this, all of this you. This presentation today yeah. is so important to be with you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you, Shari, Julien, Chloe, for being here today. And I think it's just so important to you know, create awareness about the realities of caregiving within the LGBTQ community. So thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Join us next week, Wednesday, August 26th. The topic will be transitioning a loved one into a residence, which is a very important topic today, considering what's, what's mm -hmm. happened recently uh, within the long-term care system. And I will have two guests, my colleague, Dr. Jose Moret, professor and the director of geriatric medicine at the McGill Faculty of Medicine, McGill University Health Center and the Jewish General Hospital, as well as Matt Del Vecchio, a certified professional consultant on aging, the host of CJAD's Life Unrehearsed, and he is a transition specialist who helps seniors and families through the decisions about where and how they wish to live out their senior years. This webcast is an initiative of the McGill Dementia Education Program, once again, which is funded by private donations. If you would like, like to make a, a contribution to our program or have more information, please visit mcgill.ca slash dementia. And if you have any specific topics or questions that you would like to address, please email us at dementia at mcgill.ca. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. Take good care of yourselves and see you next week.